Welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, Happy Gets Teased, Deadly Class and Sabrina head to your TV, we find out what kind of legacy Marvel has, and the murder machine comes to Detroit. Stay tuned for all this and more! Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. Heck yeah! That's right, this is the weekly comic book podcast where we talk about the news and the latest books coming out and occasionally reviews of the movies and TV shows when those things are relevant. I'm David Luzader, that's Nick Sharmuxness, you are the listening audience, and everybody, we have a very important update here at the top of the show. Oh no. I'm going to go to IsWolverineStillDead.com. Let's find out what it says. <gasps> no. Is Wolverine still dead? No. Wolverine is alive again as of September 27th, 2017. Hey, but the, as they say, the Golden Goose stayed dead for 154, 154 weeks. 154 weeks. Now, we'll talk a lot more about this revelation but uh, that's that's right, guys. Logan's back. I mean, not like the Logan that's been around for the last three years or like the other versions of Logan who have popped up here and there or like the other Wolverine that's running around as a clone of Logan. No, Logan is, is back. But, man, 154 weeks. They made it three years. But And I'm in the camp where it barely counts like yes there was a specific wolverine that was missing but we received a glutton of wolverines Wolverines. yeah in replace oh absolutely yeah literally we had a book like just after he died called wolverines plural so it just and I'm, i'm gonna talk about marvel legacy later in the show but as far as like revelations go, yeah. Even if you're barring taking the 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 reveal out of the news, like obviously because the news should still be shocking, right? When they announce it prematurely, but like the but second I or I think you texted it to me, I was like, eh. okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's funny because you you mentioned that whole like Wolverine being dead, and then they uh, they launched that Wolverine's book. It felt very much like Death of Superman, where it's like. Now here's these other characters who's going to replace Superman. Speaking. And then eventually it was the return of Superman. Yep. I think and the problem with this too is that Marvel always talks about how like we're taking them off the table. Like they're taking the Fantastic Four off the table. Fantastic Four they actually took off the table other than the Human Torch and the thing running around that they had no idea what to do with in the interim. Like Dinosaur's going to hang out with the Inhumans and the thing's going to be a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. And, and then a but, Guardian of the Galaxy. And, and no, he started as a Guardian of the Galaxy and then became a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Yep. Um, but, oh crap, what was I going to say? This happens way too often. So, so this is fine. I, I just, uh, you just reminded me with the the uh, the the Fantastic Four thing. Um, there's this another podcast I listen to where you know I generally like the guy, but he says some really ridiculous stuff. Like they were talking about, I do not believe 
that, first of all, mutants should not come to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. People need to stop being like, Marvel should just buy back the mutants and have them be... Nope, it's too late. We're too far gone into this. Mutants don't exist in this world. I also don't really think we need to just, like, out of the blue introduce the Fantastic Four. I think that would be so stupid. But when around when that was happening, it was like, oh, yeah, they should just, like, get them back and then just, like put the thing in the Guardians of the Galaxy and everybody will be like, oh, this is how it's supposed to be. No, when, like, when the thing was in Guardians of the Galaxy, everybody was like, what? Why is this happening? And also, that, would, like, that like totally throws off like the very small percentage of people who are reading Guardians of the Galaxy and then the smaller subset of those people who love the thing being on Fantastic Four is not the majority of the people going to the movies. People would not be like, yeah, this makes sense and is right. It would more be like, why is what? Who? Huh? Though, in deference to it, I would say, if I remember correctly, there was an interview with Brian Michael Bendis who who included the thing on the Guardians of the Galaxy where he said that his intent with the book was to do things that you couldn't get away with in the movies. Which, kudos, I applaud him for that venture. Um, But, you know, I think really the, the true hero in all of this is the fact that some person... We don't know, male or female, doesn't really matter. But some person ha- decided to maintain a website called "Is Wolverine Still Dead?" Uh, it is for 154 from, weeks. It's from the creator of uh, the creators of Has DC Done Something Stupid Today? dot com and Captain America Grammar Nazi. I think the Outhousers dot com was their first uh, site. Actually, well, either way, I applaud them for running this site. Well, and it's complete useful huh. slash use- uselessness. So, has DC done something stupid today? dot com. It has been 141 days since DC did something stupid, according to them. The last thing they did, uh, oh man, this website's real loading slow. Um, oh man, I forgot that Nightwing: The New Order has come out, and I bought that and did not read it. Uh, you. Yeah, so. I will not be talking about that on today's show. Uh, anyway, we'll get off the, these, this website nonsense. Uh, but I, I do want to say, before we move on, I've been living in a very weird world today, Nick. Very weird world. Why? Well, you know, we, we talk about the Wolverine with the Wolverine seeking replacements, which is harkening back to the 90s where there was Superman vying for Superman replacements. I feel like I've been living in the 90s today. Oh yeah, why don't you tell everyone about like, my phone? How my phone just doesn't archaic work. Archaic you are. My phone doesn't work, guys. It's weird. It's 2017. I was driving to the store and I was like, "What if there's an emergency and someone needs to like get a hold of me?" And I just think like, I was thinking of like every gen- question no one would ever get a hold of you right, for an emergency. Yeah. Well, it just makes me think of like every generation of adults before us. Just like this is how they lived their entire lives. Like, right. If I was like, all right, I'm going to the store and then I left the house and like, I could just not come back for six hours and no one would have any idea because how are they going to, re- are they going to call up the store? No, no, yeah. they have to, I mean, that's involved. That involves getting out the yellow pages and like looking up the store's number. That's effort. You're We're- right. When they had no other recourse, they were just going to give up. Other than the fact yeah. that they weren't used you to just, having smartphones. We, we don't live in the age of trust anymore. Back then, everybody was just like, well, I assume they're alive and went on with their lives. And now now we're helicopter parenting, parenting each other. We're a helicopter parenting. parents. 
were helicopter parrots uh, following each other around in brightly colored clothing, repeating things other people have said, and ordering stuff with our owner's Amazon Echoes from uh, the parent <laughs> that was in the news. Look it up. I don't really know what we're talking about at this point, so let's just go ahead and jump into the news. Our top story today. After a disappointing summer, Humpty Dumpty has a great fall. Lots of TV and movie news today. We're starting off with a story coming out of sci-fi, our first of two, and that is that Deadly Class has getting a pilot. Deadly Class, the book that is written by, why am I blanking entirely? Rick Remender, Rick Remender. and drawn by Wes Craig. Yes, yes. Uh, is currently in development, according to Deadline, uh, with directors Joe and Anthony Rousseau attached. In what way, we're not sure. Probably they're just going to be executive producers. And uh, maybe direct the first episode. No, it says the pilot will be directed by Adam Targum. Never mind. Based, and probably just producers. Based Ex- on a executive script, producers. Yeah, based on a script by Remender and Miles Feld, Feldzot. Uh, hmm. My my guess is that they, for those who don't know, <laughs> Deadly Class tells the story of teenagers who are recruited into a training facility for assassins in the late 80s. There is no release date currently announced. My guess would be the, the, the Russos are fans of the show, uh, and they kind of used that as a way to get that like this thing in development and maybe like a little not fast tracked um but maybe get a little more attention if you have like the russo is putting their weight behind it right the 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 property has a lot more traction when you have a hot number or numbers like the russo brothers attached to it like right now they're they have that star power level with the success of winter soldier and civil war and the upcoming infinity war that they say that they like something, it's probably going to get pushed through. Well, I, I kind of how it works. Yeah, I want to remind everyone, the Rousseau brothers were directing sitcoms for a long time. Right. They were pretty big on Community, right? They directed community, a lot of the episodes. Community and Arrested Development uh, uh, were both uh, them. Which, I, you know, comedy is all about timing, and I, I think that translates well into action films, which relies pretty heavily on, on timing and pacing and stuff like that as well. They're right. very well equipped for it. Will I watch this show, given my not real love for the series? Which, to be fair, I have not read in a while. Maybe it has gotten, by my standards, better. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, uh, you know, I was going to say no, but I'm like, this idea actually might work better as a TV show. Ah, But it could also be really teen drama-y and dumb. Ooh, I don't know. It depends on how, like, sci-fi is kind of like a fringe channel, so to speak. Like, it's obviously not, like, big network. Like, uh, I mean, it's it's a it's a popular channel, but it's not like primetime networks like right, NBC, right. ABC, all that. I mean, series. I will I will remind everyone they are developed. They have made the Sharknado movies. Right. So, I mean, like, there's not a lot of credibility there. But obviously, when they made the Sharknado movies, they also weren't going, like, this is high cinema. Oh, no. Um, but... I think that given like how visceral Rick Remender's comic book work is, I'm sure that the pilot script is equally visceral. It's just a matter of how much of the Hollywood machine is going to kind of like bend it or break it, you know, before it finally hits screens. Um, I think too, I will be very curious to see the set dressing for this uh, mm -hmm. TV show because a lot of it takes place in 
literal underground school. So I'm just curious how they're going to try to represent that. Because if they're just doing like CGI buildings and caves, it's going to be... I mean, I don't think they'd do CGI buildings, but they would probably have a building and maybe do a CGI environment around it just so that they can like obviously indicate that this is an underground school. I think you can do that even on a TV budget and get away with like, also it's like almost always dark outside of the school. It's true. Cause it's in a cave and usually CGI works better at night and it's going to be more set dressing than like something they're going to be actively interacting with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that'll be okay. But I mean, one thing with deadly class is it has such a distinct art style to how the characters are depicted. It's hard to imagine them as real people, live action people. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it can be done, and you, like, you obviously have to like transfer your visuals, you know, into a different medium. Uh, I'd almost be curious what a Deadly Class like animated TV show would look like, but obviously they'll never go for it. Right. Um, right. This... And then at the same time, it's like, all right, we'll just read the comic. And, and my personal, my standards is I really enjoy the comic, so I'll at least be curious how this TV show develops. Yeah. No, I mean this. I think I back when this comic was first coming out a couple of years ago when we were talking about it on the show, I probably very like, I probably talked about it in terms of this reminds me of an anime because it does have a very like anime plot, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But I don't know how that's going to translate into live action. Um, uh, what else, what else is going on at sci-fi Nick? Is anything happening? We've also got a teaser for the uh, show Happy with an exclamation that was based on the uh, Grant Morrison and Derek Robinson miniseries of a few years past. Um, I don't, I don't think I ever actually finished Happy. It's like um, four or five issues, man. We were having this conversation before the show. What I just like it's busy. Doesn't All right. Know. But either way, uh, in the Happy, we've got a uh, Christopher Maloney. Um, playing the the happy guy who gets followed around by a cartoon unicorn, and I—that's actually all I remember. And this article doesn't tell me what it's about. Uh, it is about the the unicorn come. I think the unicorn is being voiced by um, Patton Oswalt. Patton Oswalt. Yep, I just wanted to double check on that. Uh, that is correct. Yes. So yeah, uh, who is named happy, the little winged unicorn and comes to him and is like, there's this little girl who's gone missing. You got to find her. And it's your daughter. It is. His daughter. And uh, I think that, I don't, I don't think, I don't know if that's actually revealed right away. That might be a twist that's supposed to be saved Oh, spoilers. Uh, a little bit. Sorry about that. Everybody. Um, Oh, apparently happy was originally voiced by Bobby Moynihan in the pilot, but was later replaced by Patton Oswalt. That's interesting. Usually I feel like you kind of see a degrade in star power when it goes like in the pilot, they got like uh, in the originally in lost. It was supposed to be Michael Keaton, uh, but that was Martin Sheen. No, Michael Keaton for lost. I don't know who was supposed to be the pilot. Not the pilot. The uh, Jack was supposed to be Michael Keaton, uh, and, then, and then was going to die, but they like recast it when the character got expanded. Um. Anyway, yeah, it it's about him searching for this little girl and having this tiny little imaginary horse following him around. As crazily violent stuff happens. Yes. Yeah. It's funny because I mean it's been a bit since I've read it. It read very much like a kind of commentary on uh on Millar books. Uh. 
just kind of like Grant Morrison writing a Millar story. But this was also at the time where I was very heavily, and not saying that I'm out of it, but it's not as heavily into the Grant Morrison circle jerk, uh, where it's like the he can do no wrong. It's a fantastic place to jerk. Don't get me wrong, but right, but yeah. But I mean that's faded a little bit, especially uh, with the the Claus book that came out. Uh, but still, I mean, I will I will read anything that he wrote. But at the time, it was like Millar is garbage. Morrison is everything. All hailed the great big bald head of Morrison. I always theorize that Grant Morrison sleeps on a bed in the uh, shape of his own face. Doesn't that seem like a Grant Morrison thing to do? I mean, I guess I might not put it past him, but uh, even that might be pushing it a bit. But this is a guy that has supposedly uh, said that he was abducted by aliens, so really it could go either way. God, uh, he's on so many drugs. <laughs> and David, why don't you tell us what the next news story is? <sighs> all right, all right, all right. I'll stop talking about Grant Morrison for a minute to talk about something that almost physically angers me. And I will explain why. Michelle Williams, not the part that angers me, to star in Venom opposite Tom Hardy. Not necessarily the part that angers me. We'll get there. Michelle Williams is currently in talks to star opposite Tom Hardy in Sony's Venom movie. Uh, Also thrown in, Riz Ahmed is uh, on board for the film, and Ruben Fleischer Fleischer is directing. Here's the part where I get angry. Sources say Williams would play a district attorney in possibly Hardy's love interest. Venom shouldn't have a love interest. We do not need to make this film where he is the hero. And of course they're going to play it like he's the anti-hero. But it's like really they're going to find a way to him like still like save the day and and be awesome and great. He doesn't need... (sighs) It really depends on what direction they want to take Venom in as far as the lethal protector. But in my opinion, Venom should just be a villain. Now, I agree. Here's the thing. All we have is that she's being cast as a love interest, which also feels like an antiquated term. But, you know, love interest can mean multiple things. Like whether she's like going to be throughout the whole movie or and I could have my Eddie Brock history wrong. I believe he had a partner uh, prior to becoming Venom. And one of the, I think maybe that was one of the things he played like when his, his relationship fell apart as a result of like crap that Spider-Man was allegedly doing or that that affected him. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be something where like she's, you know a person that he was in love with. Maybe she'll be in flashbacks or maybe she'll be in the movie. You know, I mean, well, let's just face it. It's probably going to end with an 11th hour act where she's going to be kidnapped and he has to go rescue her, which is okay. Um, but you know, I'm just saying it, it, love interest could mean many things. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. It's, I'm not surprised by them saying like, oh, there's possibly going to be a love interest in this film because that's just how Hollywood works. And, you know, they they think like, well, they need a love interest for all the guys who are dragging their girlfriends there. So they have something to be entertained by because girls can't be entertained by badass black monstrosities tearing people limb from limb. They can. All right. Look, that's my version of feminism. Everybody can get their rocks off to black monstrosities killing everything and everybody. And Grant Morrison, let's just talk some more about him. So, or, like, I think, like, if you just, if you rub his head, do you think you, like, gain magical powers? 
Uh, or did you just see like a contact high of everything that he's done? Hey Nick, have you seen that film Your Name? Do you know it? You're familiar with it? I the anime film Your Name where the the teenage boy and the girl switch bodies. Yes. Yeah. I've heard of it. I haven't watched it. I haven't watched it either. But while we've been talking about this, I just came across this article that I think is much more interesting than anything we're talking about. Okay. Good, good segue. Keep going. Yep. And which J.J. Abrams is developing a remake of the uh the hit your name with paramount uh they're looking by at... remake you mean american adaptation uh live action version here's the reason why like i'm not i i i with you on like yes it would be an american version but they are working with like the original producers of the film and like the company that like that put made the film one or two years ago to like create this story which i think is really cool and makes me much more interested in it that they're like working with the people who are originally behind it right fine i guess you don't care about the story what else is happening i i don't know i mean like it's i it's one of those it's such like a touchy subject because it's like they'll probably be cast as white people which is not saying that white people couldn't fill the roles but you know should they be like japanese actresses should it take place in japan is it going to take place in the United if, States, even if it's in the United States, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know. So like, here's, just leave it as an anime film. No, no, why? Why do we have to leave? Like, why? I, I mean, I... Why do we have to adapt anything? Okay, welcome to all of history and all storytelling of all time. There's nothing new under the sun. I, I'm not saying, like, we need to, like, adapt everything and create it, but it's like, hey, here's a chance for this story to be told in, like, a slightly different way in a different setting. I agree, like, if it's set in Japan, make it japanese characters if it's set in america for american audiences i don't think there's anything wrong with developing it and making these characters then if it makes sense for the story for them to be white people or black people or whatever as long as it fits the setting of the story i always go back to like look at the audience the movie's being made for look at the audience for the live action adaptation of full metal alchemist uh, or uh, the one that was produced and made in Japan. Yeah, or Attack on Titan, which like both of those also an- made in Japan. All, but both of those animes are about European countries. But when they made the films for Japanese audiences, it was an all Japanese cast, which like that's fine, that works. I understand the Hollywood operates. Obviously, the Japanese people originated from medieval Europe, David. Obviously, obviously, like the American film industry is a little more global than that i'm not gonna say that they're not uh but i i think like if hey we're making this movie primarily for like an american audience like giving it an american cast and i'm saying american i'm not saying white i'm saying you can put a lot of character a lot of different people of color in that role i don't remember why i got off on this random tangent just yeah probably just hey make 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 good movies, guys. And if it's an adaptation, I don't care as long as it's good. Fair enough. Then for our last news story, we have learned that the chilling adventures of Sabrina, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, for those don't, that don't realize, uh, is in development at the CW. Uh, chilling Adventures of Sabrina was an offshoot of, was it Horror with Archie? or uh, Archie. Basically, it was... Archie Comics did a series of, of books revolving around a zombie apocalypse in the Why Archie can't universe. I think which, of this. Keep talking while I spun off to Afterlife um, with Archie. Afterlife with Archie. Afterlife with Archie, um, which then spun off into um, that they, Sabrina Teenage Witch, who is um, 
part of the Archie universe uh, kind of sprung up into her own book called The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which is a more edgier bent on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Uh, and just like uh, CW has their darker, edgier Riverdale, a.k.a. Archie series, now they are working on Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Uh, it'll be interesting just from the last time that Sabrina the Teenage Witch was on TV, it's, like how different some, this is going to be. Some of the news articles have been really funny because they're like, they're working on a dark, gritty reboot of Sabrina over on the CW. And it's like, not really. Right. They're it's another adaptation of a, you know, something that was already adapted from right. they're the ad- same story. They're adapting the dark, gritty reboot, but uh, it's not like they're not taking like the old '90s show and being like, "What if it? What if her dad was Satan?" Which I think is what happens in *Chilling Adventures of Sabrina*. I haven't read it. I'm totally shooting at my ass here. I know there's something with her dad, like inhabits the body of her boyfriend. That's weird. Yeah, man, I've heard it's really good. What the reason that like I'm not like rushing out to like get in on these books? Uh is because one comes out every six months. Oh, yeah. They've been super delayed. Uh, let's see. All right. This person is an idiot. Uh, somebody. I'm, I'm just reading through the comments because that's always a good idea. Uh, says mega flop maker Greg Berlanti. Yeah, his shows are super flops. Uh, oh, yeah. By the way, this is being produced by um, Berlanti's company. Uh, okay. Yeah, mega flop maker Greg Berlanti, whatever. His shows are like currently keeping the CW afloat. After repeated flops for CW, none of which have been canceled and all of which get pretty good ratings, will destroy the memory of yet another beloved TV show. What other TV show has he quote-unquote destroyed the memory of? And also, see my thoughts last week where your childhood is not destroyed because something is remade. The thing you love still exists. Audiences will once again stay away in droves. I'm pretty sure they're watching the CW, guys. Pretty sure that's why Arrow's getting a sixth season. What, who are you Who are you speaking for right now? I'm just mad at people who have... First of all, this person is an idiot. Who have bad opinions. It's, no, but like this isn't... This is, they're, like, they're stupid. I'm mad at stupid people. But let's talk more just while we have this moment about Grant Morrison. What? No. Okay. You know what? No, Grant Morrison's done. I think everyone's heard everything they need to hear uh, about Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. So let's What if this. Grant Morrison wrote Chilling Adventures of Sabrina? That would be insane. I want it to happen. Uh, we'll, I'll, I'll call Grant Morrison and ask. Wait, you we'll, have Grant we'll Morrison's it. number? I'm not going to talk about it until you jump over to the comics. Fine, I'm going to do it, but then you're going to tell me. To the Batmobile. Let's go. Do you have Grant Morrison's number? No, I don't. But oh, now you that tricked we're on... me. You tricked me. You <laughs> yeah, like you thought it bitch. was true. Uh, uh, well, because David usually uh, forces me to go first. By the uh-huh. way, I have never wanted to do this podcast. I've been in chains the entire time. Like <laughs> something episodes. No, 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 no. Um, nobody, nobody listen to that part. I mean, I would, edit, I would edit it out, but that requires effort. So uh, just, do, just. <laughs> If this show is defined by one thing, it's Ret- retroactively, retroactively go back and cover your ears and don't listen to that part of Nick being in chains because that's just ridiculous. Yeah, so uh. ridiculous. So, so crazy. Anyway, um, so I read Marvel Legacy number one this week. So uh, I Legacy, didn't have to. So that David, not that David ever would, even if I didn't. Um, and Marvel Legacy is Marvel's kind of 
really, let's just brass tax it. It's their answer to rebirth. They they saw like that DC was getting all of this like good um goodwill, you know, because of rebirth and quote unquote bringing things back to the quote unquote way they were. And Marvel wanted to dip into that a little bit, so it's this whole launching pad for their next line of books and the ongoing storylines, returning everything back to their original numbering. Like so, for me, like I as an old fan like i appreciate that i didn't really give a crap when they were relaunching everything with a new number one sometimes it seemed a little aggressive um like i got it like i think when it's like a brand new creative team that's cool um when it was like mark wade writing like three different volumes of daredevil that seemed unnecessary probably only two volumes but whatever um but this is marvel apparently trying to like give back to the fans a bit um Hopefully not the like racist ones, you know, but the whole thing is about going back to like honoring the legacy of, you know, the heroes that started all as well as not giving up on the newer legacy based heroes um, that have come, you know, through and become more prominent over the last few years. Um, So uh, did I enjoy Marvel, 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 Marvel legacy? the art was really pretty. It had a murderer's row of artists uh, led by Asad Ribic, who uh, worked with Jason Aaron, a.k.a. Jason Aaron's the one that wrote this, uh, on Thor, God of Thunder. So the book was very, very pretty to look at. Story-wise, or let's say script-wise, as far as Jason Aaron goes, Jason Aaron, I have found as like nine times out of ten, always been a very solid writer, does a really good job of you know, bringing his own flavor to a particular book or concept but also making sure that his characters all sound fairly distinct. Uh, And for a book that's juggling so many different Marvel characters, some that he doesn't have any history with, per se, I thought he did an overall good job with some shortcomings, um, which could be explained by plot points that just have yet to be revealed. Um, But that being said, it didn't... I don't feel any more excited by the end of it than when I started it. Hmm. Uh, As far as, like, there are a couple of books, you know, coming out of Marvel Legacy that I'm intrigued by, and that really has less to do with, like, this big macro story they're trying to tell, and sometimes where it just comes down to the creative team. Like, I did enjoy Mark Wade and Chris Samney on Daredevil. I enjoyed them on Black Widow, and now they're doing Captain America, and Mark Wade's original Captain America run, you know, is looked back on fondly, so I'm kind of excited for that. But, like, Hulk going back to Planet Hulk. I'm like, all right, whatever. Um, you know, the the search for Tony Stark again for me, whatever. Um, and and here's where Marvel Legacy ultimately falls short. It opens with this, you know, interesting set piece of the quote unquote Avengers of one million BC. Basically, this you know the Odin with an Iron Fist, which doesn't make sense, with a Black Panther, which doesn't make sense, with <laughs> with Caveman, Star Brand. Uh, Agamotto, the Sorcerer Supreme, and a Ghost Rider that admittedly was awesome because it rode a, a Mastodon that they killed, and like you don't even see him riding the Mastodon. The Mastodon's already dead. Like here's a freaking Ghost Rider riding a Mastodon, but we're not even gonna show you that. Um, and here's another celestial plot where like clearly some big mystery is happening where the Celestials came. They're like really on some level we've seen it all before, which I. Granted, it's hard in a continuous publication of, like, 50-plus years, but it feels like dipping back into the, like, this is, like, a, a weird Celestial that's doing something different from what the other Celestials are doing, maybe, you know, and it's all now leading back to present day, where it said Celestial that the 1 million BC Avengers is now being unearthed in the present. Um, 
was like, oh, okay. And then also there's like a lot of continuity errors going on, like the fact that a million years ago, like Odin already forged Mol- Molnir, whereas I believe it was established that he forged Molnir specifically for Thor, um, who I suppose could be around now, and he was just sending, giving it for giving or giving it test runs. But um, there's something, or just like one million years ago, there was already like Black Panther, like. You have like the the more cavemany people, like the I guess not the Cro-Magnons or whatever, but but then you had like modern like a, a modern Black Panther. Like I mean, as far as like human structurally, like he looked like a like a modern day human, but you know he's a Black Panther from a million years ago. Same thing with Iron Fist. Like I'm pretty sure in the Stone Age, I mean I suppose because it's Kunlun and it takes place outside of like time and space maybe like that could work either way i'm done i'm like getting way too far into the weeds here so i'm going to pull it back there's just issues that as i was reading it were hard to let go of that may have uh, dampened my enjoyment but beyond this macro story of like this hidden celestial um it also did a lot to tease upcoming stories. like it touched on captain america it touched on amazing spider-man iron man thor all this stuff and that's great but like felt too much like a teaser like i'm not saying like say if we had to compare it to dc rebirth that that also wasn't a book that that teased the giant macro story but also kind of peppered in you know teases for others and i maybe i'd have to go back and read it again and I'd have a pretty a similar impression but with this like different artists i you know were doing like these different segments and it later was just like oh here's what i'm trying to say so because the book is called marvel legacy you know, like, that's, like, the whole point. That's great. But in some of these teasers, it really had nothing to do with Legacy. Like, there was this whole little bit with Iron Fist and Doctor Strange talking on the steps of the Sanct- Sanctum Sanctorum. Um, because someone was trying to get in but was stopped by the shrubbery, which admittedly was a funny scene. And it ends up being Norman Osborn. Like, Norman mm. Osborn was trying to get in, which is going to tie into Amazing Spider-Man. But I don't know what the hell that has to do with Marvel Legacy. Like, a, a legacy of sorts um stuff like the search for iron man because you've got riri williams as Ironheart, like that that i get that's legacy or captain america going on the road through america to rediscover himself about his you know his own legacy that i totally get but to a certain extent like it kind of like stopped the macro story to like touch on these other little things and then kind of weaved it back in so in a lot of ways it felt really disjointed um, there's also like, in, not necessarily a random fight, but like a fight between the Robbie Ray's Ghost Rider and Starbrand. And Starbrand probably should have just been able to obliterate him in one shot. But spoilers, it ends up being Ghost Rider that takes out Starbrand. Like as far as I can tell, takes him out, takes him out. And also Starbrand was acting really weird because he's not supposed to be crazy, but he was acting all like, hey, you just showed up here and like we've been having the same dream, but like I'm going to stop you because reasons. I can't let you have this, this thing that you're actively not trying to get. Like at no point was Ghost Rider like, yeah, I'm totally going to like go after this thing you're telling me not to. Which is like, okay, like that just doesn't make sense. So again, digressing because I'm getting back into the weeds. <laughs> Marvel Legacy had some has some interesting ideas at play. But as a whole, it still didn't really, like, I've just been kind of waning on Marvel. And, you know, not, not the comic in general, like, I love the medium. But, like, when it comes to the big two, even with DC, with all their efforts with Rebirth, like, there's some stuff I'm interested in, but I've even kind of fallen away from that. Um, Marvel XC didn't do enough to, like, truly excite me about what the next year or two of Marvel publishing is going to look like. So, unfortunately, but, you know, that's what it is. All right. Well, I did not hop on the legacy train. Uh, everything that I kind of read about it didn't 
get me too excited either, so that's very unfortunate to hear. You know, I want I want Marvel to be doing awesome stuff. It just sounds like they're trying to kind of get a little bloated. They're just a little bloated right now. That's what it feels like. Hmm. Well, speaking of something that's totally not bloated at all in the slightest, I read another one of the metal tie-ins. I read Dark Knight's Batman, the Murder Machine. So I think I'm just going to stay on this train of reading the uh, metal tie-ins, just learning about these different Batman, and you know maybe I'll keep talking about them on the show. Uh, this one, so last time we dealt with the Flash Batman. This time we're dealing with the... The Flash Man. Flash Man. This time we're dealing with Cy... Cy Batman. Cy Bat. which is Cyborg. Or Batborg. Batborg. Beetleborgs, big bad Beetleborgs. Oh man, Beetleborgs! Where are they? When are they going to have a resurgence? Probably never, because they only shot like the one season. No, it was like two seasons. But yeah, continue they, they ran, us they about the murder machine. Footage. Anyway, uh, so the last, just to ref- refresh people's memory, the Flash Batman was a Batman whose family, Bat family, got killed, and so he turned into a bad guy and stole Wally West's speed, and that turned him into a murderer. I thought it was a little bit of a stretch, a little bit contrite, didn't really love it. This uh, cyborg Batman, uh, Alfred died, and so Bruce Wayne was developing something called the uh, Alfred Protocol, which is basically an AI who would do what Alfred did. Uh, It wasn't quite complete at the time of Alfred's death, so he gets Cyborg to help him out in completing it. They finish it, and what it does is it start it takes protecting Batman slash Bruce Wayne to up to 11 uh, in which it finds ways to replicate itself and gain some physical form. And it goes around and starts killing all of Batman's villains. It murders all the inmates at Arkham. We see it killing Bane. It's implied that it's killed pretty much everyone else. And then it returns uh, to the Batcave wanting to get in uh, Victor tells Bruce not to do it, but Bruce thinks if it gets it in, he can reprogram it and get it to be okay. When he lets it in, though, it surrounds him and merges with him and takes over his body. So this is another Bruce Wayne turned evil, but this one was turned evil by machine. This I'm much more interested in. Uh his powers are really kind of undefined, can kind of replicate himself in weird digital magic-y ways. Uh, and this takes place primarily on um, the Watchtower, which is uh, be- through this issue we find out it's been taken over by the evil Justice League of Batman, who have also redesigned it to look uh, like a giant evil bat skull floating through the air. Or floating through space, I should say. One thing that doesn't make a lot of sense, uh, they they make it clear that the evil Batman are targeting the home cities of the Justice League. Uh, and they're kind of doing the whole analog thing. We saw that, that Flashbat was going after Central City and was reshaping that how he saw it. that kind of made sense though because he was tied in with Wally West. This cyborg bat is going after Detroit and is reshaping Detroit how he sees fit. But I don't get why he has a tie to Detroit. I don't 
totally understand that. Right. I, I mean, like if it, if Victor Stone was in there in any capacity, because he has a connection to Detroit, you know, that would make sense. But like, other than the the cyborg version or whatever Batman being co-designed by Victor Stone, there he shouldn't really have any affinity for that city. Yeah. So I'm hoping that gets explained. maybe Alfred's originally from from Detroit. I don't know, maybe. I'm hoping that's kind of explained um, in the future. Uh, I'm, I'll be really curious to see for people who are not reading the tie-ins how they're going to like quickly summarize these storylines, uh, because you can kind of see what's going to set them up for defeat. You know, Wally West is going to be, or Flashbat's going to be defeated because he has got Wally West inside of him who wants to do good and Speed Force and whatever. This one will obviously be tied in some way to Alfred. Uh, we haven't next week we're getting I can't remember what it's called. I want to say Don Walker Don Breaker, uh, which is the Green Lantern analog. Uh, but they're setting up I, I do like that they're setting up these kind of obvious they're not like pointing them out right now as like here's what their weakness is, but it's like it's fairly obvious to the reader and not in like such a way like again because like, they're not highlighting it, it feels like I, it makes the audience feel clever like Oh yeah, I get how they're gonna get defeated. Um, I like this story much more, I would say, than I liked the Red Death one. Uh, this comic is coming at us from uh, James Tinian the Fourth and Frank Thierry, with art by Ricardo Federici. Federici. The art in this book is pretty great. I sometimes don't love tie-ins because they feel a little bit second tier. Uh, but I will say that the the work that has gone into this one, uh, some really, really creative uh, panel layouts and artistry. Uh, it's, it's a really beautifully drawn book. Uh, so I can't, I may, I think that made me like it a lot better. I really can't fault it. Like there's this great, uh, double page spread of all of the Batman, all the evil Batman that just looks really great, really good. Um, overall, it does look cool. Yeah. Like they're just really menacing and monstrous. And I, yeah, I really hope that, uh, this artist gets a crack at some more stuff with these characters because I would really definitely like to see it. Um, overall, I'm still in on metal. This has kind of bolstered my confidence a little bit in the story. See how this one went. I am very excited, uh, to see what next week's Don Breaker is going to bring. How did Bruce Wayne get a, um, a lantern ring? Cause they, they're kind of keeping it with like, Hey, this is the world that, you know, up until something happened, Obviously, in this case, it's it's Alfred dying. Last time, it was all like all of Bruce Wayne's family dying. There's like a uh, a fun like little I, fun in this weird, dark, creepy book um, where the uh, Cybat, Cyborg Bat, Bat Borg Man uh, is kind of telling the story of what happened to uh, to his world. And Cyborg's like, hey, man, I don't write the rules of the cosmos. Because he's like, you know, why does your world get to live while other worlds get to die? And Cyborg's like, I don't why, I, I don't deal with that stuff. Like, I'm not Jeff Johns. 
Uh, and then, of course, he gets like beat up horribly. And it's implied that his body's full of metals that are going to be used to summon Barbatos. Barbados? Am I pronouncing that correctly? I'm pretty sure it's, it looks like Barbados. Barbados. Or bar, Barbados. Yeah. So, Barbados. Like, yeah. like parts of the Caribbean Barbados. So this is one of the right. few times where I feel like, hey, guys, really do check out the tie-ins. Because I think they are fleshing stuff out really, really nicely. And uh, and I would just really like to see Grant Morrison's take on some of these characters. Just getting just getting that Grant Morrison-y goodness just all over. I'm just doing this because I thought it would drive you crazy, Nick. But you don't seem to care. So, yeah. That... <laughs> Is what I read this week. Did you read Saga? Did you get a chance to read that? I did. I did. I have caught up on Saga, and I would agree with you if we want to just jump right yeah, into let's, it. Let's just take a, a couple minutes and talk about it real quick. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we do talk about Saga a lot on the show, but why not? Because Saga is a great book. So this was Saga number forty-seven, once again by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples, all doing an admirable job. Um, but compared to where we left off in the previous issue, where I remember you, you you did remind me that Prince Robot and she has such I a long and complicated name, I can't name, think yeah. of it, but they kissed. Um, I think that was the final page. And I think it was the final as page. As far yeah. as um, uh, with Marco and Alana, um, I, was it like left with Alana was getting the abortion or what? I mean, like baby's already dead, but basically getting the abortion done. Or was, like, was there some sort of cliffhanger there I don't, other than like her ghost no. brother dying? No, I think it was just the abortion was being performed. Okay, so right, so we'll carry on to that probably next month. Um, so this is a filler issue. Re- not really a filler issue, but it definitely it's, it's takes setting a pause up, from there. Yeah, It's setting up right. another part of the story, but it just comes at a very abrupt time. Right, which they've done this before. So it's like I'm, I kind of expected that at least like one issue out of the arc, they kind of take time away to check in on side characters. And this time we get some background on the will. David, what did you think about it? Yeah, so we see like the Will's history of it. We see him as a little kid. Him as like a young, youngish man. Uh, looks like kind of like maybe be in his early to mid twenties. Um, which really kind of begs the question: How old is the Will supposed to be? Uh, I would say that that history that we are presented to is, you know, obviously very horrifying, but for Saga is pretty par for the course. Uh, it's just hard. Like it's hard for this book to shock me at this point um, with like grandiose acts of violence because they've done a lot in that, in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of like like the tie in where we see like his family has always had a tie to the freelancers and it kind of looks like uh, his sister um maybe kind of like designed herself after their uncle and like he has his own little sidekick which both of them would later on have their sidekick it's these nice little details that of course make saga oh so absolutely great um i like i like getting this backstory on the will and i would say kind of in the book he was kind of getting built up a little bit more sympathetic as time had gone on uh but they they made a point very early on that the will like so many other freelancers is a monster and this book we kind of got to see a little bit how that monster was created and some examples of when he was being that monster uh well i mean what's tough here is he 
Well, okay. So I, I always think back to that line where um, Hazel, adult narrator Hazel, like mentions how like her parents, you know, break up or I forget exactly what she says, but it's like an allusion to like, you know, it doesn't last. And then they kind of went through the whole teasing that they were like, like Marco was going to have an affair and Alana was getting into drugs and they were going to break up. And then it ended up just being that they got separated because of circumstances, but mm-hmm. they're still very much in love. So I feel like sometimes she, I realize that you can't really parse or, you know, calling someone a monster is like pretty clear cut. Um, but I feel like whatever it is that's turning him into what he's going to become, you know, we, we haven't seen yet. Like we know he's a freelancer. We know he's like kill, he kills people for money. Like he's basically an assassin. Like, I mean, right there, like, you know, he's a person of questionable morals. Um, but beyond that, I haven't seen anything. And he also seems completely disinterested in pursuing, um, Marco and Alana, or is he back on that track? Did he say like he was going to finish the job? Because in this issue, he kind of comes off like you don't want that trouble. Yeah, I, I, I can't take the secrets. I don't remember where we. I mean, obviously the will was picked up by somebody along the way. Uh, yeah, I think it, he had kind of gotten to this point with it where he was just like done and not really willing to uh, to pursue that. Um, but I, I, yeah, like how I, I said to, to Nick earlier today, like, oh, if, if, it almost feels like filler. Obviously, they're setting up something like there's, this is not just a filler issue. Just the timing of it is so odd that it felt like if this was an anime, this would be a filler episode sort of thing. It's like, yeah. here's some backstory on a character. But they kind of set up the whole, uh, obviously, there's some good characterization, but there's uh, the stuff about, like, now somebody, a diplomat, um, now somebody kind of important who isn't directly in the high command of uh of wreath or landfall has this information mm-hmm. and it's now going to be used in some sort of unspecified way yeah it's all going to somehow tie back into the marco and alana story as it all does you know just like just like star wars all of saga is about the skywalkers uh i really loved the reveal of who had taken the will. First of all, I'm so sad that Sweet Boy was turned into a rug. That's... Oh yeah, like that was such like a like, oh, here you go. Like this happened, like we're not going to pay too much attention to it, but it's yeah. there. How's 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 that for some supervillain shit? <laughs> uh but like the the reveal where she takes off her mask and they're well, I don't are they gendered, I guess. Um I think they're going with a gender. Yeah, because right, she just referred to him as he. Uh, but, like, takes off the mask and it's like, this is the face. Uh, like, you know, you killed one of my people and here's my face. And he's like, I don't I don't recognize you as a species. Like, I, And he kind of, like, admits, like, yeah, I've killed a lot of people. I probably have killed whoever you're talking about. But it's not. Like, I, I love when that happens in stories. Uh, I, I just think it's... I think here it's played very well for like for amusing stuff. Uh, but I love just like when you have a character like in Guardians of the Galaxy or even though the movie's terrible, Street Fighter, uh, somebody so bent on revenge. And the reason for that is like you have somebody who's so bent on revenge and they like get kind of front to front with the person they're like looking to kill. And the person is just like, yeah, for you, this is a big deal. For me, that was nothing. Right, right. And I think also this goes doubly for the reader, because I, if we probably went back and looked at, I'm assuming like volume one, maybe volume two, where right. he rescues Sophie, um, that 
we would probably see her her fiance you know just like in like half a panel like being killed and like we never paid that person any attention yeah the species looks familiar narrative wise a seemingly inconsequential person that that doesn't matter has come back into the story in a big way it impacted the will and some lines like that like it, it can't always be done effectively in stories and i'm not saying that i was like blown away like whoa look at her like i totally remember that scene but upon further reflection i'm like yeah oh, like that's a really interesting way to pull it back in yeah i you know we don't have a ton of history on the will and exactly what he's all been involved with uh they just like really kind of paint it as like he's not really a super moral guy and then like there's the stuff with like he's obviously not cool with what they were doing on sextillion to children does that and I'm not saying that it doesn't. I'm just like curious, kind of playing devil's advocate. Does that feel genuine to you that this guy who is like a, a murderer for money, who was painted as being like a real bad guy, like this is the the stick in his craw that he's going to be the hero for? Well, yeah. I mean, I think this character, this type of character, crops up a lot. Like I can even think of Deadpool. Like he's obviously a mercenary for hire and kills lots of people, but he draws a line of children. I think in some cases. When we, especially when you have like the like the moral or the as an anti-hero, if you think of it like that, like they usually draw a line at like child murder or child sex slave stuff like that, um, you know. But if you're an adult and you're into some shady business, I'm not going to give a shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, basically, like the Punisher, I, I guess they're they're basically the Punisher. But uh, I don't think it's disgenuine that he's like that. I think that morals are complex. I think that people's own stances on like what they are for and against, you know, can be complex and nuanced and change over time and change even just right within the moment. And uh, I think that especially, okay, if you tie this back in, like people, you know, he went off to, to, he inspired to be a freelancer and kind of fulfilled those duties. But from his earliest origin, you know, he was against watching his sister be abused. And that was a child being abused. He remembers what it's like, to be an abused child. So mm-hmm. when he saw Sophie on sextillion being abused in such a way, like also, also they tie in the fact that like his sister was also sexually abused. Uh, so I think that's just a really big sticking point for him that when he was faced with it as an adult, maybe that was the first time he was really faced with it. Like he just never went to sextillion or went deep enough. Um, once he was faced with it, he had to make a decision and decide this is what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be very curious to see how this connects to the overall narrative that we are presented with, how the will will cross paths once again with Marco and Alana and Hazel. And uh, we will probably talk about it here on the Heck Yeah Comics podcast. Uh, usually, did they not? Okay. Sorry, I was just checking something in the back. <clears throat> and uh, before we head out to the show, well, we also want to know anything we talked about here, any news stories or any of the reviews. We want to hear your opinion. Did you read Marvel Legacy and does it make you excited and you think Nick's crazy? Or did you read The Murder Machine and think that I'm dumb for thinking that it's pretty good? Well, why don't you go ahead and write to us, heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. Tell us your thoughts. Before we get out of here, we have to ask ourselves a very important question. You boys aren't nerds, are you? We are, in fact, nerds. Nick, do you have anything to recommend? No, but we talked about this. Well, I think, and maybe we just won't do recommendations this week unless you've really got something you want to share. But last episode, we talked about finding graphic novels when we were discussing, like, the books that, like, you feel like you should have read but haven't read yet. Uh, 
I I remember myself settling on The Invisibles by Grant Morrison, but we hadn't settled on a book for you. Have you given any thought to a book you want to read? Because letting people know next week is going to be an off week unless you want to pull in a guest because I'm going to be traveling. So we'll have two weeks to actually get through one of these books that we should have read and never did. And what is yours going to be? <sighs> All right. You know what? I will read. Hmm. I would say something that you never like that you haven't even gotten like two volumes in, like something that you have not started yet. And if you don't have an answer now, that's fine. I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Ghost World. Ghost World, okay. I, oh, I brief, yeah, I briefly talked about it here, um, but I yeah I've I, I've never read or really known much about Ghost World, so put put me down for one Ghost World, please. All right, one Ghost World and one The Invisibles, and we will check back in with you guys in two weeks to let you know what we thought. Yep. Well, I guess on that note, we can go ahead and end the show because Nick's going to be real lame about everything. Well, I just had to find a way to like not make a recommendation. So. Yeah, yeah. What's new, buddy? What's new? Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Of course, we said that email address earlier, but I'm going to repeat it here right now. If you have something you think we should read, tell us at heckyeahcomics.gmail.com. You can also find the ways to contact us at heckyeahcomics.com. And, of course, find us on Twitter at heckyeahcomics. You can find me at davluz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z. So Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, find me there. And you can find Nick uh well doing nothing for like two weeks but in the last half hour before the show trying to read all of grant morrison's invisibles so we will find out what his rushed opinion is here next time same heck yeah time same heck yeah channel until then goodbye Worst episode ever.